Many years ago, I found myself in a small town in southern Saskatchewan where I met a man named Steve. Now, I was there because I was working for a farm and we needed to learn all about this new fertilizer system. And so my boss sent me down to this small town in Saskatchewan and he wanted me to learn all about the ins and outs of the system. And Steve was the guy that I was paired with. And Steve and I went everywhere together. We did, we did everything together for a number of days that I was there. We went to the store. We went to the restaurant. Uh, he dropped me off at the motel that I was staying at. I hung out with his wife. We got to know each other a little bit. And one thing was very clear about Steve. Steve had clearly grown up in this small town. Now, you might be wondering, Luke, how do you know that? How do you know that this guy grew up in this small town? Well, let me tell you how I know it. Because everywhere we went, people had different names for Steve. At the grocery store was the first place we went, and this one kind of tipped me off. We walked in, and, and somebody called him Steve-O. Now, not very original, but, you know, still, they called him that. The guys at the plant that we were working at called him Wardo. Uh, thank you. You know, other people at that same plant called him Warbler. Some called him Whack, Waldo, Winger, Wyatt. Somebody even called him Whiskey. I found out later his last name was Warden, so it kind of makes sense, sort of. His wife called him Big Chops. I'm not sure why. Frankly, I don't really want to know why she called him that. His buddies called him Big Steve and Mighty, uh, Mighty Mouse and even Moose Man or Mooser. The list just goes on. I mean, for a guy who grew up in a small town, I mean, he had a nickname from everybody. And as we, uh, as we prepared for tonight's message and we were talking about this, this story came to mind. Because when I start thinking about the Bible and when I start thinking about Scripture and God, I realize that God seems to have multiple names throughout Scripture. He's called Father, Prince of Peace, Mighty One, Alpha and Omega, Yahweh, Elohim, Jehovah, El Shaddai, Adonai, and just countless more. And so the point is, is this, is that Steve from small town Saskatchewan, and he's a real man, by the way, Steve poses a problem for us tonight. And I want to tell you what it is. The problem is this, is that the time that I spent with Steve had I not got to know his multiple names, there would have been times when I was talking to people that I wouldn't have known that they were talking about Steve. In fact, there was a, a, a point when I was in this, this fertilizer plant and we were working and I mentioned to somebody something about Steve and he said, who's Steve? And I was like, well, like the, your boss, like Steve. And he's like, oh, Wardo. And I was like, well, yeah, but his name is Steve. And he was like, oh, I didn't know that, man. And I was like, well, how long you've been here? And he was like, oh, I've been here for about eight months. I was like, you don't know your boss's name is Steve? And he's like, no, people introduced him as Wardo. That's, that's, that's who he is. And I mean, the reality is, is that this comparison falls drastically short of, of you know, the comparison between Steve-O or Wardo or Warbler or Moose Man and, and God's names in scripture. But I want to draw a parallel here. Because the reality is, is that God has chosen to reveal himself throughout history through many different names. And that's important for us tonight. Because the reality is, is that many of us only know him by, by one name. Many of us only know and have an experience with God in one way. 
And if we're not careful, we can be like those guys in the plant who didn't know who Steve was because they only know one aspect of him. And we don't want to become men and women who only know one thing about God. We don't want to become people that only know one small aspect of who God is. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to explore some of the more unique names of God and what they mean for us. And tonight, we're going to look at one uh, in scripture where God is referred to as Yahweh Yara, or the more common pronunciation is Jehovah Jireh. And we're going to unpack that together a little bit. And in order to do this, we're going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis in chapter 22. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Genesis 22 right at the beginning. And if you're on your phone, maybe you've been following along, just scroll a little bit further down on our website there, elamya.com forward slash drive dash in, and you'll see the scripture there. We're going to start right in verse one. It says this, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, And then he goes on, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him along with his son, Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them walked together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they had arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yara, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. Then they returned to the servants and traveled back to Beersheba where Abraham continued to live. Yahweh, Yara, the, God, the Lord will provide. And I want to ask you tonight a couple of questions. 
Have you ever been in a place where you really needed God to come through? Maybe it was a time when, when you were waiting on test results, whether it was academic or medical. Maybe it was financially or relationally that you needed God to come through. Have you ever been in a situation when you knew you couldn't do something on your own and you didn't know where to turn? And let's, let's hone in a little bit more tonight. Have you ever had the sense that God was asking you to do something that you didn't understand or you didn't think that you had the strength to do? When we think of the book of Genesis, this is sometimes one of the stories that comes to mind. It's a classic one. And it's got a lot going on. And frankly, it's, it's a challenging one. And, and it, it's encouraging, but it's also confusing. You see, Abraham is called upon to offer up his son as a sacrifice, which, I'll be honest with you, sounds absolutely bananas. That doesn't make any sense to me. And maybe you've struggled with the idea that God would even ask this of somebody. What kind of God would even, would even, would even suggest that this was an option? And to be fair, while we very rightly might worry and wonder about the psychological abuse that Isaac endures in this time, in all of this, we have to see a couple of things. We have to see that the narrator of the story actually gives Isaac a questioning voice. And his father actually responds to him. And we see that in verses 7 and 8, where Isaac turns to Abraham and says, Father... Yes, my son, Abraham replied. And I can imagine the pain in Abraham's voice when Isaac says, Dad, we, we have the wood and we have the fire, but we don't have a lamb. What's going on here? Where's the sheep? And Abraham responds, so certainly God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. And I want to point out something that commentators have pointed out for, for, for a long time is that in this story, we have complete faith and trust by not only Abraham, but also Isaac. Do you notice that in the story, it doesn't say that, that Abraham had to wrestle Isaac onto the altar. It's rather... It's, it's kind of this idea that to, they're doing it together. There's this trust and this faith. And maybe Isaac's only trusting his dad because he doesn't know what's going on. But I can certainly tell you as a dad, the idea of having to sacrifice one of your own kids, I mean, wow, that is just so out there. But there is complete faith in what God is asking them to do. And I don't fully understand it. But what I do understand is that scripture sometimes lays these types of things out for us because it wants us, because, because God knows that we need to hear these things. God knows that we need to hear these types of stories because if we're honest, there's lots of times in our lives, there's lots of times in my life, maybe you're going through a time right now that we question what God is doing. We wonder why he would allow pain and suffering to occur. We wonder why he lets COVID-19 ravage the world and our economy and our mental health and all of the things that it's touching on. Why would God let that happen? We wonder where he is while our world, both internationally and globally, but also personally, why he would let our worlds fall apart. 
And I don't, I don't want to be too flippant and, and I don't want to be too, uh, you know, easygoing about this. But I want to tell you tonight that, the, that God answers these questions in Scripture. We just need to be aware of how he's answering them. Because listen, Abraham was called to do something crazy. By all accounts, this story is whack. It makes no sense that God would ask him to do this. But what's amazing is that Abraham was obedient. And I think that the way that we understand why Abraham was obedient in chapter 22 is by going back to chapter 18. If we go back to chapter 18, we see something very clear. Now, if you, if you remember in chapter 18 of Genesis, God is setting out to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of the way that they were living. The, the, the type of acts that they were participating in. And God had set out to destroy them. And what we read is, is that scripture says that every other man had gone away, but Abraham stood in the presence of the Lord and challenged him. And if you remember the story, you'll maybe remember that Abraham actually seems to change God's mind. So God says, I'm going to destroy this city. And Abraham says, God, what if I find just 50 people in this city that are not wicked? Would you then destroy those 50 people? And God says, no, I, I won't. And then Abraham says, okay, well, maybe there's only 40. And God says, if you find 40, I won't. And then Abraham says, 30, 20, 10. He lands on 10. He says, God, what if I just find 10 people in these cities that are not wicked? Will you spare them? And God says, yes, Abraham, I will. And it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing that we see that, that Abraham is making a deal with God and God is listening to him. And so the question is, is why? Why would God do that? Well, we see just before that in verses 18 and 19, God says this of Abraham. He says, he will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. You see, from the introduction of Abraham in scripture to this point, God has promised him. God has spoken a promise over his life to say that you will become abundant and fruitful and your family will do well. So perhaps the reason why Abraham obeys the command to sacrifice his son in chapter 22 is because Abraham recalls that not that long ago, God had promised Abraham an abundant life and Abraham knew that God would listen to him. And throughout his life, he had seen God show up. And so even though God asked him to do something crazy and difficult and so hard, you guys, I can't even imagine. I have two precious little kids and I cannot imagine that call from God. But Abraham was so convinced of who God was that when this happened, he says, yes, I will follow you and I will have faith that you will provide a way. And so I want you to catch this tonight. Abraham does not simply obey. He obeys because he trusts. And so I want us to consider the question that we're trying to answer tonight. And it's this, have you ever had this sense in your life? Maybe you're having this sense right now that God was asking you to do something that you didn't understand. Maybe God's asking you to do something right now that you don't understand, that seems out of this world and seems difficult and you don't feel like you have the strength to do it. It's too much uncertainty. It's too much difficulty. 
And I want to encourage you tonight that the name of the Lord in this portion of scripture is Yahweh Yoda, Jehovah Jireh. And it sounds weird when we say it because it's not really English, right? We're doing our best to translate it. But it means the Lord will provide. But we have to understand something. And this is where the challenge comes in. And you know, if you come to this group, you know I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to let you leave here without being challenged. We have to understand that it's provision after obedience. We have a role to play before God comes through. And it requires us to, to partner with God and obey what he's called us to do. But God wants us, God wants to be abundantly clear. And that's one of the beautiful things about this scripture is that God wants us to know that it's not obedience for obedience sake. He's not just up in heaven like some kid with a magnifying glass just burning ants. He's invested. He cares. He sees you. He knows you. And he says, I want you to obey me, but it's not just for obedience sake. It's a call to partner with me, to partner with God so that we can unlock the power of the promises that he's spoken over our lives. Because you might be here tonight and you might not remember that God has a promise for you. You might not remember that once upon a time, God looked at you and said, I have plans for you. Last week, we talked about that. We talked about Jeremiah 29. We talked about the reality that God does have a plan and a purpose for your life and not a plan for destruction and not a plan for you to fail and fall apart, but a plan for you to prosper. But God says, before you get that, I need you to obey. Before you get the reward, you have to show me that you can follow me. And so God does something amazing. He puts the power for the promise in our hands. It's completely within our realm of control. Because sometimes we read scripture and we forget that it actually played out in real life. That these are real people. They're not just some figments or mythical creatures or mythical people that just kind of happened in a vacuum. But they were real men and women who had to rise up in the face of difficult circumstances. So let me be clear. Abraham could have said no to God. He could have said, no way, God. I've seen you move. This is too much. This is where I draw the line. This is my son. Ishmael has died. Isaac's the only one I have left. You promising me greatness and you're promising the future of my descendants. But Isaac is the only one left. If I kill him, what are you going to do? And Abraham stands at a crossroads. But we need to understand something tonight. That even when we say no to God, he still will have his way. And I want to use my own life as an example. Because friends, I've shared this with you before, but I never wanted to be a pastor. I never wanted to do this. In fact, there's still days that I'm like, God, why do you have me here? And I knew from a young age that God had called me to be a pastor. He called me to be in ministry. He said, Luke, I need you to die to yourself and I need you to do something that you don't want to do because I have a plan and I have a purpose for your life. And it's to bring the word of God alive in people's hearts. And it's to stand between people and the pits of hell and point them towards me. And I said, no. 
I said no for a long time. I said, I don't want that. And to be honest with you, it's, it's mostly foolish and selfish reasons. And those of you who know me, you know that, that I didn't want to be a pastor for, for all the wrong reasons. But I knew that God was calling me. And I knew that, that every time I said no, I didn't stop the will of God. I just delayed it. I just delayed it. Every time you say no to what God calls you to, you don't stop the will of God. You just delay it. Because friends, God's got your number and he's not giving up on you. And when I heard this for the first time, it changed my life. And I want you to hear the same thing tonight. That the only thing standing in between you and the plans that God has for your life is you. There's nothing else. You may be in a circumstance and in a phase of life, a season of life right now that you go, there's no way. God is gone. He doesn't, he doesn't have me right now. His plan for my life is, is over and, and man, I don't, I don't understand it. The only thing that can get in the way of God's plan for your life is you. And until we begin to be men and women who understand that and get out of our own way, we will continue to delay the call of God on our lives. And the reality is, is that God gives us that freedom. God gives us that freedom to choose. Because listen, I, I'm, a, I'm a dad and I look at my two kids and I, I love them so much and I want nothing more than to have a relationship with them. I want nothing more than to walk with them through their life. I want nothing more than my girls when they're teenagers to come into my room and sit on my bed and pour their heart out about stupid boys who need to be beat up by me. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I, I tell you, I, I pray daily for those boys and I pray that in that moment, that Jesus takes over. Because if the human part of Luke comes out, oh man, it's going to be bad. <laughs> but I look at my kids and I love them. And I want nothing more to have a relationship and for them to love me. But I can't force that. I have to give them the freedom to choose. I have to give them the freedom to walk through their life and march to the beat of their own drum, to do, the own, to do their own things and to follow the will of God on their life or not. And I can tell you as a father, that's incredibly difficult. The story of Abraham tells us that God places the promise in the hands of those who are faithful. Because the only thing standing in the way of God's plan for your life is you. The only thing standing in the way of God's plan for my life is me. The story also tells us something else. It tells us that receiving promises does not mean that we're protected from the moments where those promises seem to be called into question. You see, often we, we get this idea that God has called us to something greater and then we encounter hardship and difficulty and we're, we're called to these places where we have to obey and we have to trust in what God's doing and then we go, what the heck? What is going on? I thought you promised me prosperity. 
I thought you promised me a good life. I thought you promised me a girlfriend. I think, I thought you promised me, you know, that you would provide for me. And God goes, I am doing all of those things. But listen, just because I've promised you something doesn't mean that it protects you from the moments where those things are called into question. Because it's those moments that build character. It's those moments that create and put you through that fire that forges you into the man or into the woman that God says, I, I am ready to equip you and release you in my name. And so let me ask you tonight, what is God testing, with you, testing you with right now that requires your obedience? Maybe it's going to that school that you just got accepted to. Maybe it's to seek help with an addiction that you have. Maybe it's to step out and have that awkward conversation that you know you need to have, but, but, but you just don't want to. Maybe it's the application that you need to send, but you're afraid of failure and rejection. Maybe it's the missions trip that you've been putting off because you just don't have your ducks in a row and, and who am I to go serve someone else? It could be anything. But I believe that there are people here tonight and maybe there's people watching this online later that need to know, that need to know that we are called to something. And it's this. God wants us to step out so he can step up. God wants us to step out in faith so he can step up to the bat and hit that homer. Because until we step out, he says, I can't do anything. He says, you, you, gotta, you gotta make the first move, man. But I want you to catch something tonight. And this is the hope of the gospel. God does not expect anything from Abraham, anything from me, anything from you tonight that he wasn't already willing to do. And if you don't believe me, turn to Matthew chapter four and you'll see the story of Jesus being tested in the wilderness. Turn to Matthew 26 when you see Jesus being tested in the garden of Gethsemane. And you begin to realize that God took a risk. God risked that Jesus would not be found faithful because God needed to see that his son, the person who he shared being with, that he needed to see, hey, is this guy going to step out so that I can step up? And I don't know about you, but if I read that story of Jesus, you hear that anguish. In Matthew 26, it talks about Jesus sweating blood and it's, it's symbolic of this deep and this difficult call to step out and to do something that, that he didn't have to do. He knew that he didn't deserve the fate that he was being led to, like a, slam, like a lamb to slaughter. Yet Jesus trusts himself to the will of God, trusting that God will find a way to be faithful in the promises, even in the face of death. Does that remind you of somebody? Abraham. I don't know if you remember this. At the beginning of the story, Abraham actually says, <laughs> he says to the servants and to his family, wait here, because we're going to the we're gonna go to the mountain and worship, and then we're coming back. He had faith that even in the face of death that God could move. And the good news is, is that we know the end of the story. Because God does prove faithful. Because he raises Jesus from the dead. And because Jesus is not dead anymore, that means we gather like this and we worship a God who is alive. 
We worship a God who has our number. We worship a God who overcomes death. We worship a God who resurrects dead dreams and brokenness. And he says, you are worthy because I have said so. But there's something that you need to know tonight. And it's that you have to step out. Because I'm ready to step up. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. Since he himself, Jesus, has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. And a little bit later in Hebrews, that same author writes this, this high priest of ours, this Jesus understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God and there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Hebrews 4.15, mark that in your hearts. But I want you to notice something. See, this is, this is the heart of a preacher right here. Because when I read scripture, I'm going, how is this going to preach? How am I going to bring this to the people that I love? And as I was reading this in Hebrews just a little while ago, this came through so clear. It says, let us come boldly. In other words, step out. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And then what happens? God steps up. There we will receive his mercy. Friends, we are called to step out so God can step up. And some of us live in this world that we go, we don't, there's no way that God would test us. And I'm not talking about salvation here because that's free. That comes with believing in who Jesus is. And maybe you're here tonight and you haven't taken that step. Maybe, maybe you're questioning some things and, and you've gathered here tonight. Maybe you've been coming for a few weeks and you don't really know why you keep coming back, but God's, God's stirring something in your heart. Maybe you've been part of this Christian family for a long time, but there's something that needs resurrecting inside of you. And I want you to know that tonight God is calling you to step out. And that testing is real. Because the prize is worth it. The prize of walking in the presence of Jesus is worth it. Friends, we can count on the faithfulness of God. And in the story of Isaac's near sacrifice and the trust that they both had, we see that trust is not only an option, but it's the only choice. Because we can count on the faithfulness of God who in the middle of the worst circumstances, in the midst of the worst possible testings that we could imagine, he will provide a way through the fire. This last worship song that we sang together, the chorus went like this, there was another in the fire. Standing next to me, there was another in the waters holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free, there is a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. We don't just sing songs because they sound good. We sing songs because there's a message in there for us. And friends, when we read scripture, we see that God has come through. And when I finally obeyed God's call in my life, and I finally made that step out, and I said, God, I'm willing to trust you. God, I'm willing to step out, and I'm willing to follow what you have for me. I began to walk in the promises that God had spoken over my life. 
And you know what, man? I'm not, I'm not saying that it got easy. In fact, in some ways, my life got more difficult. But I walk with God now in a way that I know that his promises are coming to completion in my life. And I want the same thing for you. Over and over again, God proves himself worthy of our trust. And no matter what you're facing today, no matter what test you feel like you're being put through, can I just remind you that you're not alone? You see, this worship song tells us three stories in that chorus. The first is this. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel, when they stood in the fire, they looked out and they saw someone else standing beside them. Just like the disciples in the boat in the middle of the storm experienced the storm calming power of Jesus Christ when he spoke to the storm and it ceased like that. And just like there is an empty cross that casts a beautiful shadow over the arc of history, you and I are not alone. You and I are not alone. And so friends, let me remind you tonight, God is calling you. God is saying, I will provide for you. But I need you to step out so I can step up. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this message. I thank you for the truth that you speak through your word. I thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather and to worship and to hear your words. And God, I pray tonight that the truth would just break through barriers. I pray for those, 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 those situations that people are facing right now where, where they're feeling tested and they're feeling like, God, where are you? God, that you would reveal those places in their life that, that they need to step out of in faith so that you can step up and you can begin working the promises. God, that we know that our salvation is because of Jesus and we praise you for that and we thank you for that, God, but we pray for courage. We pray for boldness to step out. To step out in faith, knowing, God, that you call us to difficult things, but it's because you have amazing plans for our lives. And so we pray that you would give us that strength. We pray that you would give us that courage. We pray that you would give us that boldness, God, that you would be breaking barriers in the name of Jesus. And that my friends here tonight would know that you are walking with them and that they are not alone. We thank you, God. We worship you. We acknowledge that you are above all. And we thank you that we can enter, that, that we can come, that we can come boldly to the throne of our gracious God and there we will find your mercy and there we will find your love and your protection and your grace and there we will begin to see the promises that you've spoken put into practice and put into action. Thank you, God. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.